What's up, sports nuts and beer guts fanatics out there? You have made it. Congratulations. Episode 50. <clears throat> That's right. The 5 0 coming to you tonight. We got the old, uh, the old faithfuls, Chris Collette, Matt Hickman here with us. We may even call in a few of our pinch hitters that we've had over the last 50 episodes because um, we're going to dial up an entire episode of chug sip or poor conspiracy theories we're going to find out are you guys buying these theories these conspiracies from way back uh we figured we haven't seen enough conspiracy theory talk on facebook that we wanted to bring it to you sports style sports nuts and beer guts so we're going everything from football baseball basketball we got boxing uh, we're even talking daytona 500 chris have you ever been more excited to talk conspiracy theories um Probably not. <laughs> well, I'm excited because my dad will not be more proud than any other episode than this one. Mr. <laughs> conspiracy Theory himself. He's, he's a big conspiracy theorist, huh? Well, he is, but if you ask him, he, he don't consider them conspiracy theories. They're just facts. Um, <laughs> so he's it's just basic truth-seeking. That's all yeah. that is. all these. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, of course. Uh, Earth's flat, didn't land on the moon. Let's go. Ready. <laughs> All right. So the way this will work, guys, we'll, we'll each kind of talk through the, uh, the, the, the theory that's out there, and then we'll give our, we chug, sip, it, or pour, and whether this is a, this is a truthful theory or we think that we're going we're gonna to bunk this thing. Are you ready, Matt? Uh, 100%. Mm, 100. Keeping it real. Episode right. 50. Let's go. We're going to start off with a theory that's long been out there. I don't even know how much of a conspiracy this is. The Madden curse. The John Madden curse. Whoever shows up on the cover of Madden, their career is cursed. Uh, just to give you a few examples, Antonio Brown in 2019, Barry Sanders in 2000, both of them out of the league the next year. You had a You had a span there of... 2002, three and four, Dante Culpepper, Marshall Falk, Mike Vick. Uh, I think even before Culpepper, you had Eddie George. Um, but you had four years in a row where the cover person got hurt, um, missed multiple games that year. There's multiple stories. You look at like, you know, Marshall Falk, who just fell off a cliff the next year. Eddie George did the same thing. Um, Chris, Chuck Zipper, poor the Madden curse. Ugh. I'm going to sip it. Uh, I think there is some validity. And then also as far as sipping it goes, uh, these are all high volume guys, uh, specifically the running backs that uh, they were due to, I mean, so what was it like the curse of 400? If you have 400 touches, you're pretty much screwed the next year or 400 carries. I don't know which one, which one it is. Yeah. 400 touches. Uh, Yeah. So uh, they were due to some, so I'll sip it because of that. But, I was a player I would not want to be on the Madden cover at all. Hickman, who was last part, mass, last Madden cover athlete that saw a, you know, I mean, wasn't Ruben Drones on the cover of Madden at one point in his career? No, he wasn't, but uh, similar, Peyton, <laughs> Peyton Hillis, Hillis, the yeah. other one-hit wonder, yes, Cleveland was. Brown running back. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I will sip the Madden curse. 
but it has a cousin. And its cousin is a Sports Illustrated curse, and I will chug it. Um, they they're With Tennessee on there in nineteen ninety nine. That would make a lot of sense. I don't know. Ten- well, I mean, Tennessee's <laughs> last cover was probably or Tennessee football's last cover was probably yeah, Peerless Price saying the Vols are no doubt the Vols are peerless, and yeah, it's been terrible ever since. But there, are, I mean, much more. Um, you know, recent and uh, interesting ones. I, I just remember a few of those, but yeah, I'll chug that one. But we're not talking about that. As far as Madden, I mean, there have been a. I think Chris, you're right. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of players that were just due for a regression because that's just sort of the, you know, what they do. They put a guy who's a flash in the pan. Um, but you know, interesting. Somebody like Antonio Brown, who was not a flash in the pan, just decide. Well, I mean, he just went nuts and. I mean, he was due for that, I guess. So um, I think it's more a product of who Madden puts on the cover. Sports Illustrated's had a much larger um, body of work as they've had a cover athlete every week, you know, for years and years and years. So I'll sip Madden, chug SI. Hey, here's a question for you on Madden. Who's mm-hmm. on the cover in 2008? Wait, wait. Uh, oh, wait. 2008? Was that Vince oh, Young? <laughs> that was Vince Young. Okay, that's a yeah, yeah. He was terrible. I'm sure ever since like, after that. I mean, we had Vince, we had Sean Alexander, we had that one year that had um, Fitzgerald and Palomalu, who those guys had great careers. They're probably immune to it, but I mean, didn't McNabb get hurt the next year after the Super Bowl? I mean, Ray Lewis, Eddie George, Michael Vick. Hickman, just so you know, Palomalu missed eleven a career high eleven games the the year oh, that he wow. was put on. <laughs> I mean the steel the Steelers had a terrible twenty eleven after a yeah. twenty ten where they sh- they should have won the Super Bowl in twenty eleven they had a terrible Paul year. Malu, he had twenty tackles that game that year or yeah, yeah. that year. So um, guarantee if Palomalu plays those eleven games, the Steelers don't miss the playoffs. Yeah, guys, I've got to, I've got to chug this. I mean, you talk about a flash in the pan, but I mean, since 2000, they've had Barry Sanders, Eddie George, Dante Culpepper, Marshall Falk, Mike Vick, Ray Lewis, Donovan McNabb, Sean Alexander, Vince Young, uh, Brett Favre, Drew Brees, Calvin Johnson, Adrian Peterson. I mean. These guys aren't flashing the pan guys, but these guys who almost all of them either had injuries the next year or that was the end of their mm. career. Um, so I think there's a reason why NFL players avoid it. I think there's a reason why it was Peyton Hillis that year because I think they were down to like 16 people had turned them down to not want to be on the cover. Um, so I'm totally buying the Madden curse. I don't understand it. I don't know how this works, but I would not want to be put on the cover of Madden because um, it means my left leg's probably going to fall off the next year. Hickman, there's a we got back to back patriot conspiracy theories. Now, I hesitate to even call these conspiracy theories um, because I'm not even sure it's a conspiracy or a theory, or are we just talking facts here? Um, Spygate, the Patriots videotaping the Jets during a 2007 game. Suppose they didn't learn their lesson because they did it last year against the Bengals. <laughs> How many wins did those Bengals have up uh, to that point? Up to that point, they were had a big goose egg. Um, but the Patriots were scared. Chug Sip report the Patriots spying on teams for the la- better part of the last two decades. Okay. 100% Chug. 
There's no question whether or not they did it. But the thing that still gets me, what, 13 years later after the 2007 thing, why were the tapes destroyed? That's that. I'm, I'm still so baffled by that. And Roger Goodell has been in Robert, well, Robert Kraft's pocket. There's been a symbiotic relationship ever since then. You know, Kraft goes to a brothel the morning of the AFC Championship. What happens? Oh, nothing. It's a massage parlor. Yeah. Come on, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. <laughs> uh, no, nothing happens there. There And, uh, you know, he has, I don't know, deflect. And Goodell's been pretty terrible. Kraft's deflected a lot of that over the years. So I feel like there's been just they've run interference for one another ever since then. Um, and yeah, the Patriots prior to 2000 and like, of course they did it last year to the Bengals have illegally taped, um, you know, teams walkthroughs and things like that. There's that whole bizarre thing with that guy, Matt Walsh, who was, um, a Patriots film guy. There was another guy on the Patriots who they never could figure out what exactly he did, but was like this mysterious, you know, you know, counselor figure who was there, um, taping things and figuring out what other teams did. So, yeah, there's been shady stuff with the Patriots forever. Um, so, yeah, they 100% it happened. Chug. Yeah, I mean, it definitely happened. Um, I mean, they were penalized for it. What I don't understand is that they continue to do it. So, obviously, either the penalties aren't harsh enough or that's just what it takes. That's the Patriot way. It's what, what it requires them to win. I mean, why are you so worried that you're going to videotape the Bengals calling out their plays? Um, they're terrible. You're going to beat them with your third string. Um, I actually don't blame Goodell on this because Robert Kraft is his boss. It's kind of hard to penalize your boss. I blame all the other owners for not kicking uh, Robert Kraft to the curb and basically saying, all right, buddy, uh, it's time to put up or shut up. So definitely chugging this. They definitely happen. I don't understand why they keep doing it, though. Chris, what's your take? Um, I'm, I'm going to be similar to you, and my theory is uh, cheaters cheat. It's what they do. They don't know anything else, and it's just the Belichick way. Like He feels like he has to have some kind of an advantage, do something that's borderline cheating but actually is cheating. I just think it's who they are, and I mean – last year with the Bengals was a perfect example. Like, mm-hmm. like wh- what are you doing? Like <laughs> you're not going to see them in the no playoffs whatsoever. Yeah. The videotapes you watch in the first half, you don't have time to analyze them at halftime. You're not playing them again later that year. Like what purpose does it serve? I no clue. I also echo what Hickman said, destroying the tapes. I, I don't understand Unbelievable. that part, uh, but that was also, wasn't Goodell pretty, pretty new at that point. Yeah. He was in year, what? Three. Uh, yeah. Well, it was 07, so year two, I guess. 06 was his first year. And his first, like, 13 years or so were train wreck. I mean, I feel like he's done pretty good this offseason up until this week. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, Goodell's not the brightest. He gets paid $50 million a year and whatever. He's he's done well enough to get all that worked out. But, yeah, the, the there were years that the Patriots had to do it, and there were years that they didn't. Like, look back on anything of the 01 or, or 2018 championship teams, and they never should have won. Um, 03, 04 were juggernauts. 07 was a juggernaut um, who managed not to win somehow. Um, so, yeah, like you said, that's in their DNA. It's the Patriot way. Well, 
a Patriot team that did win 2014. We had the flake gate. Tom Brady supposedly had a, um, well, I guess it's not even supposedly he had an equipment manager to flake the footballs. Um, they beat the Colts by, if I remember right, it was close to 75 Hickman. Is that right? Uh, <laughs> I think that I game mean, was 44 to seven. The game wasn't even close, but for some yeah. reason, Tom Brady was afraid he wasn't going to be able to hold on to the ball, so he squeezed the life out of him. Um, again, I don't really think this is a conspiracy theory. It happened. Um, not only did it happen, but the NFL said it happened. A jury said it happened. Um, some like second or fifth court of appeals all said it happened. Tom Brady essentially said it happened when he said he was going to you know, accept his punishment of four games and, and sit out. So, Chris, what do you take? What's your take on Deflategate? Um, it definitely happened. It reminds me of whenever I was a manager for the ba- manager for the basketball team at Tech. Uh, we deflated the basketballs we played with. Uh, our point guard, our shooting guard, loved to play with flat balls because they uh, it, it was they were nicer on the rim to them. Uh, so were they somehow, short? What were they no, short was, guards? Nice six three and six no. six. Nope. Uh, but they they just loved the flatter ball uh, just because I I don't know why it was it confused me. So every game we would take the ball and it'd be flatter and flat. Take the official, he'd be like, "You need to get some air in this thing." <laughs> do the little one pump, hand it back, and he's like, "A little more." I was like, "Do the little fake pump and then hand it back," and he's like, "Fuck it, it is what it is." <laughs> and uh, so yeah, we uh, we we played a flat basketballs so if we had a home game attack. Because of that, we changed out nets. Uh, they either have like the very short net or a very long net, depending on who, what type of team we're playing. Uh, so we, we always look for advantages like that. And the Patriots definitely are looking to any advantage they could get. So I'm chugging it. Definitely happened. Uh, the punishment was probably about what it should have been. So well, to me, this is where the conspiracy theory comes in that Tom Brady gets accused and found guilty of deflating footballs. So the NFL is so mad about it. What do they decide to do? They decide to change the rule about the pressure that footballs are under. Mm-hmm. When Tom when Tom Brady lo- is you know about to lose a playoff game, all of a sudden they decide to change the tuck rule. Um, to me, this is where this theory, the theory, the conspiracy theories come in with the Patriots, um, and that for some reason all these other owners are okay with the Patriots dominating uh, because they continue to change games to help or basically encourage the Patriots to continue to cheat the way they have been. Hickman, they beat your Colts there in the 2014 AFC Championship game with flat balls. How mad are you? Okay, I obviously didn't care about the Colts in 2014 with Andrew Luck. Um, But what I do care about, the week before, they beat the Ravens 35-31 in a game they should have lost with a bizarre formation Chris and I had a bet on that. Chris said that the the, uh, Ravens would lose by 14. I said the Ravens would win, but, I mean, I was wrong, but I think I won that bet and got a case of beer. So, thanks, Chris. But anyway, um, uh, that was a a team who was not dominant, as were many other Patriots teams. They they have won so many games just on the, the, you know, by a razor's, razor's edge margin. And what I remember specifically about Deflategate, Logan, you made a great point. You said, if they get through this, nothing gets stripped. I'm going to be super mad if the Bengals don't do it next year. <laughs> and you were 100% right. You were 100% right because if you look at the Patriots dynasty, they never fumbled. 
They never fumbled in the playoffs. They never fumbled in cold weather. You can look at the 2004 playoff game versus um, uh, the Colts with a couple of like just bizarre fumbles. The 2004 Super Bowl against um, Philly when uh, Philadelphia fumbled. He had five turnovers, four of which were fumbles, um, in a game that, that the Patriots won by a whopping three points plus, despite a plus-four turnover ratio. Sure, they were great, but there were all these little tiny breaks. And if there are these little tiny advantages that they stretched the rules and figured out, well, hey, good for them if the NFL is not going to punish you. I mean, they figured it out and the NFL didn't punish them. So, yeah, the Bengals should have done it the next year. The Steelers should have done it the next year. The Titans should have done it the next year. If the rules are changed, if the rules are, you know, bizarre thing, then, hey, good for them. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where evidently uh, Andy Dalton likes his footballs inflated because, oh, that's how he's always played football is with properly inflated footballs. Um, so that's one of those things where I understand. But, I mean, if the punishment is a million dollars, what NFL owners not paying a yeah. million dollars and throwing away a couple draft picks to win a title? Like, they're all doing it. They should. They should. All right. Chris, are we going to bring in our first special guest? We're going we're gonna to attempt to. Oh, here we go. Cole, you here? here? I'm here. Yeah. What's, up? What's up, boys? Hey, did you just wake up? What's up, dude? Congrats. I just got done chasing uh, ghost crabs on the shore. Is that what they the call it these days? That's fun. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good time. If you go to Surf City, you definitely can catch more crabs than Surf City, I hear. <laughs> what kind? The kind you don't want to catch. Oh. Well, Cole, I appreciate it because it's illegal. <laughs> Cole, I appreciate you joining us for our 50th episode here of the Sports Nuts and Beer Guts. Congratulations, we are, boys. We are talking conspiracy theories, and we wanted to bring you in to talk about some of our favorite conspiracy theories. Um, one of them involves wrestling, but this is our other sports category. First one is a boxing matchup. Muhammad Ali, Mr. Liston. Liston had mob ties. Um, the guy was a, a mob bodyguard, supposedly possibly a hitman before he started getting into uh, professional boxing. Um, was a heavy favorite to beat Ali, and I think it was the first round. Ali first round. Ali barely scraped his chin with a punch that most people sitting there said they never even saw him throw. Um, Liston not only hit the floor, but he like. You know, you can see in the video, he's like squirming around, tries to stand up, falls back down. I mean, you go back and watch the video there. I mean, Ali definitely does punch him, but he barely touches him. Liston hits the ground. His career's over. Ali rises to be what we know Ali to be. Cole, chug zip rapport that this happened or not. How Are you buying this? Yeah, I'm going to definitely chug that. I think I've seen replays of that growing up and, uh, I think I could have taken that punch and probably stood there and said, bring another one on. <laughs> so I'm going to chug that conspiracy. Liston's career might have ended, but that man got paid. <laughs> he definitely got paid. Hickman. Oh, Chug. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was um, in some shady stuff. He died at 40 years old. He was really young. Um, there were a lot of shady. I mean... Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm with Cole. The first punch we probably all could have taken. The second one would have knocked us all. We all would have been dead. But, hey, the first one <laughs> might, might have been able to handle. <laughs> Chris, is this a clean sweep? Are we all chugging this? Um, I was going to sip it uh, oh just because, I, I mean, so, like, 
I watch UFC all the time and you see some punches that, that look kind of innocent that, I mean, just knock people down and you see punches that people can take and you're like, how do they take that? So as far as that goes, I mean, everything with the heads gets kind of, kind of weird. Uh, that's funny, <laughs> but, uh, so I'll sip it. Uh, he probably did take a fall. Uh, there's enough shady stuff there to say he probably did, but I can't say 100%. So because of that, I'm going to sip it. Yeah, I mean, I don't have the, as the kids say, the receipts, if you will. Um, it was his last fight. He was going out. He wanted um, – I mean, it's also possible, I guess, plausible that he entered the ring with Ali and just realized this is a bad man who is bigger and quicker and stronger than anybody I've ever seen, and I'm going to end this real quick. Um, but That's a Chris College strategy right that there. That is definitely a Chris <laughs> College strategy. You see you're losing. You might as well go down fast and get it over yeah. with. You get paid the same. You're not getting paid per round back then. Um, so, but I'm, I'm chugging this. It definitely happened. Um, something else that definitely happened, but it's a matter of how it happened. Richard Petty won his 200th race of his career at Daytona. Well, why does this matter? Well, it matters because the president of the United States, it was the first time a president um, had ever been to a NASCAR race. Richard Petty had campaigned for the president. Um, uh, what year was this? 90. Hey, Ben, what year did Petty win that 200th race at Daytona? That was the 84 Daytona. Um, 84. Actually, the Pepsi 400, not the Daytona 500. Oh, sorry. Pepsi race. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. way off. I thought it was in the 90s. Um, no, he didn't win another race. That was the last race he ever won. He ran. He drove all the way till 92. It's the last race he ever won. President happened to be in attendance. First time ever president showed up to a NASCAR race. Yeah. Happened to be a president that Petty campaigned for. Mm-hmm. Was the fix in, Hickman? <sighs> Sip. So a lot of it makes sense. There's only so much you can fix in NASCAR because, like, a tire blows, a tire blows. There's nothing you can do about that. Um, but, yeah, there was there are a lot of things that can be done, you know, as far as black flags and, you know, the um, – uh, the, the the team in the pits not discovering irregularities with um, tires or um, setups, chassis, etc. So, yeah, I think Petty probably had a few extra um, breaks that were given, but as far as a major, like, hey, Petty's going to win this race, which also, we talked about this in a previous podcast, that's what sparked NASCAR's golden age was that specific race when Petty won his 200th. So, they had a lot at stake. It was great for NASCAR. I'm going to sip it just because of the um, un, uh, you know, unexpected things and unpredictable things that can't happen just when driving a car, but I'll sip it. Was it Daytona where Earnhardt Jr. won the race after? Was that yes, in Daytona? I believe it was. What do you mean? Yeah. After uh, Dale Sr. died. No, that was oh was the it, next year. Oh yeah, so the next yeah. year. So no, he didn't win the next year. He won the the so Dale uh, Senior died in in February with the Daytona 500. He won the summer race. Yes. Uh, the Pepsi, the 400. Yeah, he won the 400 yeah. mile race, and Michael Waltrip won that race. Who was a um, Earnhardt driver? He won it the next. Uh, he may have won it in 03. Earnhardt died in 01, but 
Yeah, the oh, the um the following one there was a bit of a coincidence there. Yeah, Coles to fix in on Richard Petty NASCAR getting him to win. I hate saying it about my boy Petty, but yeah, six is in. <laughs> By the time this is over, everyone's just going to be a conspiracy. <laughs> I'm not talking about it. Yeah, I, I, I think I'll. I want to just sip it <laughs> when you, you start reading a little bit more and hearing you guys talk about it too. Uh, yeah, six was in. Uh, I think the NASCAR. I, I will kind of sip it in, in the sense that I think NASCAR does sometimes set up those great stories and, and those wins. Just you're talking about Dale Earnhardt Jr. when he won right after his dad passed away. Um, they give nods at one another sometimes and do some favors, but I also, uh, can appreciate it too, except for when we have to really talk about it and call it what it is and say the fix is in. That <laughs> sucks. But yeah, I think the fix is in. It's big talk coming from a wrestling fan over here. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to sip this. Um, cause like Hickman said, there's not a whole lot you can do. I do think though, as Cole just mentioned, all the other guys can just kind of have a nod and be like, Oh, Petty's near the front. This was, you know, spotters start talking. This would be a feel good story. Um, you know, if he knows this out, so be it. It's NASCAR. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to sip this. Chris, where are you at? I was going to chug it. Uh, I think NASCAR, especially, uh, they get some guys a good race car when they need a good story. I firmly believe that. Uh, and this is a good example. I mean, you mentioned Dell Jr. I was going to mention Dell Jr. Uh, getting the win. Uh, I mean, you can't really guarantee a guy's going to win because, I mean, you have jackasses on the track that don't know how to drive and can wreck you and you're screwed. But how, how many of those jackasses don't know how to drive on the NASCAR circuit, Chris? Uh, have you watched NASCAR? Nope. Rick, Ricky Stenhouse. There you go. That guy does not know how to drive. <laughs> and if you really want to see drivers that don't know how to drive, watch an Xfinity race because those guys are just, man, I've never seen cars turn like that. But, uh, I think I think NASCAR gives gives some guys good cars when they need a good story. I, it happens too frequently not to think that. So yeah. I'll chug. All right, 1995 Rugby World Cup. It was the first um, rugby uh, World Cup, first major rugby tournament where all the games were held in the same uh, same country. They were held there in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. Nelson Mandela. There was a movie about all this stuff. Uh, but Mandela's chief bodyguard claims that the all black of New Zealand were poisoned before the game. Evidently, New Zealand was so afraid they were going to be poisoned throughout the entire tournament because of how heavy favorites that they were, that they refused to eat the same food as, uh, all the other guests at their hotels and things like that. Um, but South Africa, they won one of the biggest upsets of all time. Supposedly, there's no evidence to prove any of this, but it was a huge boost to Mandela, South Africa, and everything that was going on back then. Um, Chris, was the fix in? Chug, sip, or pour the poisoning of the All Black? I'm going to chug I'm even mad about it. I mean, if you're the <laughs> underdog, what you got to do. So props to South Africa, knowing the only way they could win is somehow get something bad in their food or drinks and uh, – and hopefully catch uh, the All Blacks on a bad day. So I'm chugging it, and I'm not hating on them. It supposedly it was so bad that even the um, New Zealand trainer at the time expected to lose 30 to nothing the next morning <laughs> because all the guys were just not doing well. Um, so supposedly they were able to muster up you know, a healthy 12 or 14 of them, and it was actually a, a somewhat close game. But Cole, what do you think? Was the fix in? 
from what I've heard from so far, I would say the fix was definitely in that many men <laughs> to get that sick. I wonder how many of them were shitting themselves during the game. <laughs> now they're getting hit in the bread maker, in the bread basket. <laughs> just brutal. In the scrum, just... <laughs> the All Blacks that night were the All Shits. <laughs> Hickman, what do you think? Okay, I'm going to tell you all a quick story. Um, first of all, um, totally agree. Fix was in. I'm like Chris, not mad about it. Uh, 1995 post-apartheid South Africa. You do what you got to do to win for the country. Um, I went in two, all right, summer 2010. I went to a seven-on-seven seven rugby tournament in Nairobi. And Dude, seven sevens is the best rugby. It Agree. was one of the best events I've ever been to in my whole life. I mean, the crowd was packed. It was nuts. Um, of course, Kenya was the host. We had the um, so so the way this was um, by being uh, an event from you know in Kenya. So Uganda, Kenya, um, Ethiopia, a lot of these countries sent their A teams. New Zealand, South Africa, um, they sent their B team. So the final was Kenya versus uh, New Zealand's B team. And it was a back and forth affair. And then about three quarters of the way through, um, the skies opened and it just poured rain in the middle of Nairobi, Kenya, which if you've been to Kenya, it doesn't rain all that much as it's on the equator. Um, So what begins to happen is this giant mud pit in on on the field on the pitch on the stadium in the streets and quickly i realized with my friends there that we need to get out of dodge because we're about to be in the middle of a riot because at the same time the match switched and kenya suddenly gained the advantage did something happen in that match to um you know further the conspiracy theorists in the world um probably yes the 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 all blacks from new zealand looked pretty rough at the at that point um kenya came back to win we left i ran down the streets uh in the middle of nairobi with water up to my knees it was an incredible day and uh there was probably a conspiracy that took place i support all of it i like it there's a lot of conspiracies evidently when it comes to the rugby world um, that's just because New Zealand's like the Patriots and they're that much better than everybody. Cole, the next one on our list is what's called the Montreal screw job. Can you explain to the listeners what happened in Montreal? Yeah. So, um, back then, uh, Bret Hart had the title at that time. He agreed to drop the title at a later date, but Vince McMahon told him like, no, I need you to drop the title um at this pay-per-view in montreal that was uh bret hart's pretty much hometown he from canada and he was supposed to drop it to Shawn michaels um he did not want to do the job which is term for losing they call that doing the job he did not want to do the job that night this man knew that he wouldn't agree to do it so he just went along with it supposedly the only people that knew about it were um the referee this man Shawn michaels and I want to say that's about it. Maybe one other person actually knew the, the fix was in. And what happened was Shawn Michaels in the middle of the match applied what's called the sharpshooter. Um, and the referee immediately called for the bell without Bret Hart actually tapping out um, to the said sharpshooter. Um, 
after the match, Bret Hart actually spit in Vince McMahon's face because Vince McMahon was at ringside. <laughs> um, ironically, one of the things that made it bigger that could be a conspiracy is Bret Hart actually had a film crew that had been following him around for a couple of weeks before this all happened because they were filming a documentary called Wrestling with Shadows that was supposed to highlight the Hart family because he was from a wrestling dynasty. And so a lot of the stuff backstage was captured. They didn't actually get him punching Vince McMahon, but they had Vince McMahon right afterwards walking out of an office with a black eye. And he seemed kind of dazed. And uh, Brett was pretty upset about um, the Montreal Screwjob. As you said, he got screwed. Uh, for years, the referee, Earl Hebner, that was the ref, that his entire career, um, people chant, you screwed Brett when he would come out to call <laughs> match for the next 20 years. No, that's awesome. <laughs> passionate about it. Um, there was eventually a payoff. I want to say maybe 2006, Bret Hart returned to WrestleMania. He couldn't actually wrestle at all, but they were able to somehow work around that. He put Vince McMahon in a sharpshooter and kind of paid off the whole issue that happened with the Montreal Screwjob. Um, a lot of people say this was all planned because there was the documentary film crew there to document a lot of the things, things that happened, which it would look like that. But I think this is actually, of all the things I've showed, I'm actually going to pour this. I don't think it was a conspiracy. Oh. Why would they do something back in, you said, 1995? The payoff didn't come until almost 20 years later <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. Like 10, That's what we you know, call long con. Right. It's, it's a long, like, Bret Hart went to another, he went to another company. He didn't do well there. There wasn't really a whole lot made of it in the WWF afterwards. Um and eventually they were able to pay it off later on down the road. But um, pretty, uh, pretty uh, when things got real, they really got real. But this was a guy who definitely couldn't get over himself, really believed the hype about himself being the best wrestler ever, Bret Hart. Uh, I've always been kind of on the side of Miss McMahon. He did what was best for business and just had to take the title off of him at SummerSlam. So um, was the referee in on this, supposedly? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he need right. to ring the bell. Okay. Because, I mean, part of me wonders, I mean, this has to have happened in the past with wrestlers who don't like their storyline, get personally offended when somebody chops them to the chest and it's a legit chop or something, you know. Um, and they just decide, hey, I'm supposed to throw this match and I ain't doing it. Good luck. Um, so I wonder how much that happens. But, Chris, what's your take on the whole Montreal screw job? I'm going to sip it. Uh, Brett got screwed. Uh, Vince kind of knew what he was doing there. Uh, I'm not sure Shawn Michaels knew or not. Oh, I, he, I kinda, he came out. He, he came out years later and said he actually he did know. Did he? Okay. Years, he, mm. he maintained he had no idea what was happening, but then he came clean and said he did know. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll sip it. Uh, sometimes you have to lose in wrestling, so somebody <laughs> does every time. So yeah, sip it. Hickman. I know nothing about any of this. So <laughs> I defer to you guys. Um, y'all have, yeah, I have nothing I could add to this. So I defer to y'all. Well, Cole threw me for a loop because I thought for sure I was chugging this until Cole all of a sudden went heel turn at the end and said, but guess what, boys? <laughs> I don't think any of this was a conspiracy. Um, so like I said, I think it's possible that feelings could have been hurt, or I think it's obvious that feelings were hurt there. Um, but yes, the, the idea that this whole fix was a 19 year, uh, orchestrated ordeal, uh, is probably not real, probably not realistic. Um, 
Chris, our last one here in the other sports category, 2005, the NHL draft lottery. Crosby um, was the pick there in 2005. What's the conspiracy theory here? Oh, Lemieux uh, basically saved the Penguins by buying the team. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the condition, conditions of buying the team was uh, getting the number one pick and getting Crosby. It was a Crosby Ovechkin draft, so uh, if you went one two, it wouldn't have been bad. But Crosby was at the time by far the best prospect coming out. So, chug. <laughs> Hickman, do you believe that a t- that a guy would buy his old team under the idea that under the guys that I'm only buying it if you give me the number one pick? Also, well, I think for- hold on one second. Lemieux actually came back to play with Crosby for his first year Whoa. or two. Ooh, uh, better. Yeah, so I think there was – yeah. You can, I was just going to add that detail in there. Go ahead, Hickman. Sorry to bother you. Or jump I think, on you. No, no, you're good. You know way more about hockey than me. But I, I everything I, – I feel like I, the more I hear about Mario Lemieux, the more interesting that guy becomes. Um, that's – yeah, there needs to be a 30 for 30 on Mario Lemieux. Just – everything because wasn't at one point he like the largest um like well that too (laughs) the the penguins owed mario lemieux more than anyone else like any other debtor right yes yeah i think 100 percent chug on whether or not there was a conspiracy going on here 100 percent um but yeah that's the whole thing's fascinating how bad of shape does your sport have to be in that the only way you can get somebody to buy one of your teams is to promise them the number one overall pick. I mean, they already owed him like half the the team's value already, so may as well he may as well own them anyway. Let's go ahead and get it out of the way there, Cole. What do you think? Was this uh, was the fix in on the NHL draft in two thousand five? You know, the only thing I can remember about it in two thousand five when when that happened is my dad had a really strong opinion about it. I, I don't know why he definitely thought the fix was in, so I'll side with him on that. <laughs> and now this entire conversation, the most realest thing that happened was professional wrestling. So I'm going to chug the hockey thing. It was definitely a fix. <laughs> uh, I'm sipping this because it's just hard for me to believe that you had to promise somebody the number one overall pick. Um, but as we get to here in a minute, I'm definitely not um, not thinking that all leagues are innocent when it comes to granting number one picks to to teams and to players. So. Cole, thanks for joining us, man. You've been an integral part of our first 50 episodes. You've been the the number one call-up when it comes to the guest appearances. You're the guy that all the ladies call for. Um, so thanks That's for true. joining us, man. Gentlemen, you know the deal. It's been an honor. Happy 50 episodes. If you dream, don't drive. Do the watermelon crawl. Exactly. <laughs> not See you soon, man. See you, bud. T-minus 40 days and counting. We are working our way to the baseball category. Uh, We've got a couple good ones here. And to join us in the baseball category, we're bringing in a a manager of himself, a manager himself, guy that just busted out the 2014 NCAA dynasty, Alan Wallace. What's up, guys? How's your team looking this year? We got off to a rough start last night, 0-2. We uh, took two fourth-quarter leads and uh, lost both of them. But just excited to be back out there, you know. Brought, <laughs> br- brought Coach, <laughs> Coach Turk Ter- Ter- Ferguson out of retirement, and uh, we're excited. We're excited to be back out there. 
I don't know what my favorite part is that you brought back the dynasty or that your first night you played two games. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> all right. So shoeless Joe Jackson, the 1919 world series, um, the other Chicago team decide they were going to throw the world series. Uh, rumor has it seven players accepted $5,000 each equivalent to about $74,000, or $75,000 of, of today's time. Shoeless Joe Jackson, among the players to supposedly accept bribe, Major League Baseball, he's still banned, right, guys? Like, he is still on the correct not yeah. playing with us list. Um, but Joe maintains his innocence. Stats show he played extremely well in the series. Uh, the other guys all say that he was never at any of the meetings and his acceptance of the 5000 was them throwing $5,000 on his hotel floor. Um, AWOL, what do you think? Was Shoeless Joe in on the fix? From what I've read and and seen through uh, documentaries and movies, a great movie, by the way, Eight Men Out, very underrated sports movie. I'd say no. I mean, he, he, played, uh, he played really, really well, like you mentioned. Uh, hit uh, about as well as you could possibly hit in a, in a World Series and just didn't play like a guy who was uh, throwing a World Series. So I don't think so. Um, it really sucks for, you know, for him, obviously, that he's not going to be, be a Hall of Famer or even his family. Um, his legacy is tainted. So I, I don't think so. Chris, when I, when I read through articles about this, people talk about how, like, you know, the White Sox gave up the most triples in World Series history, and then you go back and look at the stats, and it just clearly was not the case. How do these sort of lies and things get started to tarnish somebody like Mr. Joe Jackson? Oh, I, I don't know about that, but I do know, like, the triples was a thing. The ballparks were gigantic back in those days. I mean, that like, you would have just extremes, like, from right field to left field because your fence was built around whatever was already there. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't know how the rumors get started. I guess they read fake news online and just go with it. I mean, it's, it's been a pretty popular thing in America these days. So, uh, um, that's probably what I'm going with there. Um, uh, I, I, I think the most stunning part about this is that baseball hasn't cleared Joe Jackson's name. Like, I mean, I guess he's like, it's kind of like has created a legend in Chulis Joe Jackson. Uh, but at the same time, you're like, hey, why, why are you still kind of vilifying him? Why don't you give him some credit in Cooperstown? So yeah, exactly. I, Especially after the after the media has has made it seem like he wasn't in on it, you know? Right. Um, why Why are they like? That's a perfect. That's a good good point, Chris. Like, why aren't they? Why isn't someone stepping up and and uh, clearing this guy? Now, supposedly, didn't he sign essentially a confession at the time when most people thought he was? you know, by and large illiterate, um, that cause his attorney was somebody that was, uh, was the white Sox attorney, um, who made him si essentially sign a confession. He had no idea what he was signing. Supposedly. Um, uh, I think that's how it all got started. And he, I think there are some supposed quotes of him out there. Um, but now nobody can remember him saying they're not documented anywhere, but, um, certain people in MLB lore say that he admitted to it and all this kind of stuff. Hickman, was Shoeless Joe Jackson throwing the World Series? Once again, I know very little about baseball. I'm going to defer to you guys. I would probably also say, no, he played too well. That's that's the biggest thing, right? 
Yeah, if God. he was if he was doing it, he sucked at doing it. <laughs> yeah, he was either really bad at throwing it. It's like, yeah. So that, that's he hit three seventy five. I mean, that's good lord. That's pretty, pretty solid. Yeah, especially that led the majors where... most years, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. the full okay. season, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, especially in a sport when it's real easy to not hit 375, um, you know, you can strike out a few times, you can whiff a few times. Uh, I mean, well, there have been probably Hall of Famers that have batted like 200 in a World Series, right? Yeah, you have such a small sample size. I mean, right. you, you can have bad players that have a great one, like uh, David Freeze had a great postseason. Uh, you remember that one, don't you, Well, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Was that uh, with yeah. the Rangers? That was against the Rangers. Oh, no, against the, the Rangers or the Cardinals. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Baseball. So, yeah, small, uh, small sample sizes. I mean, you can get any kind of numbers. So, 375, that, that's really good. Now, is it possible that there is any of this, you know, Pete Rose situation with this where, you know, conspiracy theory was supposedly that Pete Rose was going to accept a ban knowing that it was going to be overturned after a year or two and then the commissioner happened to die right after banning Pete Rose? Um is there any, any any anything like that that could have happened back in 1919 with Joe Jackson? Oh, that that's way before my time. <laughs> so yeah. I, I got no clue there. Yeah, that's. But I'll also pour out your Pete Rose theory on that one. All right. <laughs> that sounds like something Pete would say to try to get people on his side to let him in. Well, that's true. Yeah, Pete's a whole different story. You know, I mean, some people would say he doesn't deserve to be banned, but if the guy would just be honest and transparent about it i think that they would probably you know unban him and clear clear him but, but how do you do it. Know, but how do you know he's not been honest he I definitely mean, gambled yeah yeah i mean that and regardless yeah. if he just gambled on his own team i mean it's like the one rule in baseball don't gamble on baseball no, it's not a rule in baseball otherwise they would write it down somewhere it's in every clubhouse <laughs> literally in every clubhouse <laughs> What would that look like? I mean, other sports. If you guys, you know, follow football or, or basketball. What, what would that look like? Hey, basketball is the easiest one there. What's that I, I, think you, I think basketball is the easiest sport. Like, if, you can throw a game playing basketball. Oh, I mean, yeah. It's yeah, happened a, yeah, numerous times. I mean, especially with the so point easy. spread. Like, yeah, you, you, exactly. you can still win the game, just not win by too much. Yep. To me, it's almost harder in baseball. I mean, like, let's say you're the left fielder. Well, you may only get three balls hit to you, and you may be well, trying. You may be trying to score five runs that game, but you just can't seem to do anything at the bat. Like, if you're the coach and you put in a middle reliever to close a game, like, uh, yeah, that could that could do something about it. Yeah, it's I mean, more. It'd be more on the pitchers. I feel like the pitchers are the ones who could throw, you know, and just yeah. throw in uh, throw in just some uh, eighty mile an hour cheese balls up there for for people to hit you know but i, I can't imagine like a, like a hitter i mean it would be you know for like joe jackson like you said he hit 375 so it's, are you calling out greg maddox for his 80 mile an hour cheese balls oh but it moved so much <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my uh that's my input there when it comes to baseball um <laughs> saw a few greg maddox games back in the day guys conspiracy theory for baseball cal ripkin jr um, was going to, had already broken the uh, consecutive streak, Lou Gehrig's record. The rumor is he caught his now ex-wife cheating with Kevin Costner in 97, right before a night game. The Orioles 
um, claimed a power outage so that Ripken's streak would maintain uh, could maintain. Supposedly, this all started because Cal Ripken Jr. and Kevin Costner were good buddies. Uh, found this out. They met at the premiere of Kevin Costner's movie Dancing with the Wolves in 1990. Um, so the story was Kevin Costner was staying with Cal Ripken. He went to the game, realized he forgot something, came back, um, saw Kevin Costner in bed with his wife, and decided that it was when he was late for the uh, for warmups at the game, the Orioles decided to basically throw the lights, cause a power outage. Now, both guys have claimed this was complete false, but Chris, what was the fix in? Hey, AWOL, do you have any history of uh, any best friends trying to steal any girls from you? Yeah, but they didn't look like Kevin Costner. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Touché. That was really like good, AWOL. Nicholson. <laughs> 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 so mr oh. steal your girl what you got chris I, i'm gonna pour <laughs> this one out uh apparently there's been there's pictures of uh, cal ripkin uh at the stadium when the power was out so i'm gonna pour it out hey wall is there any truth to this i i don't think so this just sounds like some story for the you know the, to go down in lore or something you know like but i mean if there's anybody you want to catch with your wife it's it's prime kevin coster in the 90s i mean come on i mean that guy's a stud but um i you know that that whole cal Ripken jr streak i think chris and i think very differently when we think about that i i i think of it very fondly and i think chris thinks it was kind of a you know not very that selfish <laughs> Not that big of a deal, but no, um, I don't think it's true. But if it is, what a story, right? Your wife cheated on you with Kevin Costner. Well, so what's the 2020 version of that, AWOL? The 2020, oh man, who would be the 20? Who's the 2020 Kevin Costner? Well, no, we can't go to movies anymore, so no one's making movies. Um, (laughs) Maybe Bradley Cooper? I don't know. Who would be the 2020 Kevin Costner? Probably a solid answer. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, uh, what's uh, what's his name? Thor, the place Thor. I mean, that guy's a stud, but yeah. Him, Hemsworth. Yes, Hemsworth. Yeah. Hickman. I mean, I don't know if this specific incident happened. Obviously, it sounds kind of dubious, but would the mid '90s Orioles have done anything to keep that streak alive? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good it's, point. Yeah. Did something shady probably happen in between 1981 and 1995 with the Orioles keeping a game going? Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely something happened. Yeah, and I mean, I kind of think so, too. Like, There's def- definitely stuff happened to keep that streak going. It may not have been Kevin Costner. Um, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. If you're looking for, uh, you know, an actor that plays a baseball player, are you really going for Kevin Costner when you're married to an actual baseball player? Um, so, but I do think the Orioles are, are super shady in this. That's all they had going for them was keep that streak alive. My favorite part about the whole streak though, is that Cal Ripken Jr. Just set himself down one day. Like he wasn't hurt. He wasn't, he was just like, eh, it's gone on long enough. I'm done. Like to me, that even showed like, even he was kind of like, all right, I'm done playing the, this charade. It's not a magnificent, oh man, look at me going for 2,600 games or whatever. Um, when you just choose to just sit yourself down. I think at some point you realized 
this has probably gone on too long and I'm a detriment to the team at this point. So I need to sit my butt down. Um, I, I will say my favorite Cal Ripken moment was his last all-star game when he slid over to shortstop and A-Rod slid, slid to third base. Yeah, that, that was, was really cool. Cool moment. And he, and he hit home a run. hit a home run. Yep. He hit a home which, run in that game. Which um, that's a conspiracy us, theory there. The uh, catcher or pitcher definitely told him fastballs come and be ready for it. And it was, oh, t- it was he, dead center. Yeah. Oh yeah. He threw it. He, he, he served it up to him for sure. But my, I mean, I, I think of it, I mean, 95, so 94 was the strike year. So baseball was, I mean, Logan, you like to talk about baseball dying. I mean, at the time baseball was in bad shape and people and look trust. at it now. Uh huh. Uh-huh. No fans. No fans. But, <laughs> Can't even pay people to get to the stadium now. <laughs> but, I mean, 95 came along. It needed something. And, you know, for Cal Ripken to, to break that, that streak that year. I mean, it's supposed to be the streak that was unbeat, unbreakable. I mean, I remember. Definitely is now. <laughs> yeah, oh, no one's doing that. No way. So I remember as an 11-year-old kid just watching that and just being emotional. Like, it was crazy. Like, he, he ran all the way around the stadium. I think that they, they the fans probably they stopped the game for like twenty minutes. They did. I it mean, was a twenty-two it was, minutes standing ovation. Yeah, it was awesome, awesome moment for sure. So he kind I, of I, breathed new life back into baseball. Yeah, they, he breathed so much life into baseball that had to then juice the balls and inject all the players with steroids to keep it going. Um, <laughs> so they don't they don't do any of that juicing in other sports. They don't. They're not allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> like track and field, no juicing. <laughs> Cycling, <laughs> Cycling, nothing. Not gonna do it. <laughs> LeBron James, definitely not. That could, that could be a whole conspiracy theory there. Like, do these, you know, did they not know that Lance Armstrong was juicing? Like, that is a whole conspiracy theory in itself. Like, you knew you just wanted the ratings. You wanted the, you know, it's cycling. Nobody cares about you. It's like horse racing. You know, they're yeah. juicing all these horses because, you know, they get that one payday for the Derby. And if you run well, then you're making millions of dollars on stud fees from here on out. So, um, yeah, it definitely happens. So baseball, it's been nice knowing you. Um, I'll be able to tell my kids about the game called basketball that was real popular uh, <laughs> because baseball will be out the door. Baseball's back in two days. Let's go. That's all you hear everybody talking about, man. Baseball, baseball, baseball. It's crazy. It's people are stoked <laughs> for it. <laughs> I think I've heard more, uh, more, I've read more stories on ESPN about the uh, NBA snitching hotline than I have any baseball coming up. So, um, here comes sixty games of the most fabulous sport to be known: death, taxes, and Logan uh, hating on baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Hickman's there with me. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> All right, we're gonna move to basketball now. I think we are. Hey, well, thanks for joining us. Yeah, guys. Episode uh, fifty. High five. Episode fifty. You Boom. Made way to go. Appreciate, high five. Pr- appreciate your input, hey, Well, you got us to episode fifty when Hickman decided he didn't want to join us, and Chris decided he was going to travel the world or something. Um, so you filled in when we needed you. We gave you a little heads up. You put down the controller, and here you are, sticking yes. up for baseball when nobody else will. Go win one, turd. Yeah, I'm gonna go win one for Toledo. First win tonight, boys. So good talk luck to you later. See ya. Oh, there he is.
Hey, What's up? up? He's alive. What's happening? What's up, Slim? What, what's going on today? Are you in your chanchies? <laughs> Can you see that? <laughs> oh, this is getting I've recorded. Out, and we're playing this for the beans. very first uh, uh, school district meeting right here. <laughs> All right. That sounds good. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I'm off social media these days. Well, you're, you're about to be back on it when people see this picture. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. All right, McClure, thanks for joining us. We're going to talk a little basketball conspiracy theories. Uh, we decided to bring back all the heavy hitters for our 50th episode. So we had Cole talking wrestling. Um, and believe it or not, McClure, Cole was convinced all of these conspiracy theories were true, except for the wrestling one was not a conspiracy theory at all. <laughs> Is that the uh, Montreal screw job? Did you talk yes, about that one? We okay. did. So Cole said right, there was no fix. Later. He said there was no fix on that one, but all the other ones the fix was in. Um, <laughs> so we had AWOL talking baseball. We reminisced about how the sport's been dying for 20 years. Um, and now we got you coming basketball, um, bringing us the knowledge you've got. So we're going to start off here with 1985. The New York Knickerbockers won the lottery. They were struggling needed uh needed a shot in the arm biggest market in the nba they won the lottery they got patrick ewing from georgetown in the dc area went to high school in massachusetts um was easily the top recruit um draft eligible at that time and there's all these conspiracy theories when it comes to the Knicks winning the lottery. There's the bent envelope theory and if you watch where all, they threw the envelopes in and the guy just tossed all of them in except for the Patrick Ewing one. He like rammed it against the side of the drum and threw it like off to the side. Um, there's the frozen envelope theory that that mm -hmm. envelope with Ewing was held in a freezer until right before it got put in there. Um, even down to the point that the auditing firm for the NBA also personally were the auditors for the, all the for the Knicks ownership group. Um, and then you can just go through the YouTube videos. Um, you know, the, the commissioner, he kind of has this sigh, like before he's getting ready to do it, like, and then he grabs it and then like he reads it and just even his quotes afterwards, like we are more than happy with the way this worked. The Knicks, um, owner already had a Patrick Ewing Jersey when he was going to first pick before he even knew what number he was getting. Um, so boy, all that being said, conspiracy theory, Chuck Zipper the Knicks winning the lottery. So I'm, I'm typically going to be down on any kind of conspiracy theory, just in general, even even in the government conspiracy theories, just because I think that if it did happen, somebody's going to spill the beans. You think about a secret that you know at work or at uh, at school back in the day, or you know, everybody knows eventually, like the next day. But this one is totally in the fix. I'm chugging it. David Stern was a New York man, lived and died. Uh, it, they wanted Ewing. Ewing was like the next superstar. He's awesome at Georgetown, and it really worked because they were good. They had a chance to win probably five championships in his run. So uh, no, I'm totally in on that. I think it was the frozen envelope. Oh, to that's totally plausible. You just take it out from the back of Madison Square Garden, wherever they did that work. Uh, put it in the hopper. Just feel around for the frozen. <laughs> 
Hickman, are you a frozen envelope theorist as well? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, that was the that was the era when, you know, the NBA just had gotten bird magic and they were they needed this momentum. The Knicks had been a big deal in the early 70s. They were dead for 10 years. They had Bernard King in the early 80s. Then he had a catastrophic knee injury. So you want those big market teams to do well. Frozen envelope all day. The next couple picks in that draft, Wayman Tisdale, Benoit Benjamin, uh, Xavier McDaniel, John Kalankak, and Joe Klein. Patrick Ewing was easily the number one pick. Frozen envelope. Thanks, David Stern. My favorite David Stern quote after the uh, after they did the the lottery was something along the lines of, "Yeah, I think the lottery went great. Nobody's talking about the NBA and drugs. They're talking about Patrick Ewing right now." Um, I mean, clearly he had an agenda. He did not want anybody yeah. talking about the drug problem in the NBA. But I don't think it was frozen envelope. I'm going with the bent envelope theory because there's video in which they clearly banged his envelope against the side of the drum. Now, is it possible the frozen envelope happened? I don't even know how that theory was created, but I, I, there's no, I can't see any proof of that. I can see a video in which the Patrick Ewing... Um, uh, or the New York Knicks envelope was clearly banged against the in, against the drum. It was the only one that wasn't dropped in like everybody else's. So, totally chugging this, but I'm going with the bent envelope theory. Chris, where are you at? I'm gonna uh, let's pour it out. Oh my goodness! As a, a Knicks fan, uh, growing up, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm just gonna say the Knicks got lucky. I mean, that's the last time they were lucky. I think since I mean I don't know when. So that's a good point. Uh, I really think now that the NBA is doing the reverse of the frozen envelope to the Knicks until Dolan sells the team, they're not going to give him any good players. So, <laughs> yeah. And I also hated Patrick Ewing as a kid growing up. I thought he was a terrible player. Uh, you know, by the time John, we liked Patrick Ewing, though, he was he was like had those big old knee braces with probably <laughs> ice packed in him while he was playing, <laughs> taking like five steps across the lane and doing that crazy hook. Yeah, Patrick Ewing kept the frozen envelope on his back to keep that thing uh, <laughs> keep that thing frozen the rest of his career. But Chris, he was clearly a far superior player to John Starks, right? Well, <laughs> Starks, Starks and Latrell Sprewell are my two favorite names <laughs> of all time. So, uh, uh, side Patrick note: Ewing ranks about number seventy fourth. Side note, I absolutely hated the Knicks, but for some reason I wrote a portfolio piece in seventh grade, like one of those, like in order for you to like finish the year, you have to have all these, you know, novels or something you're supposed to write. And I basically wrote, uh, <laughs> it was a fiction, but I essentially wrote the story of Latrell Sprewell because I knew none of my teachers would know who he was or know anything <laughs> about him. <laughs> and I believe I got it distinguished on that portfolio that year. Um, all right, Boyd. The the MJ retirement, was this forced as a suspension for getting caught gambling? We already talked about Pete Rose gambling. Um, Or was this MJ really just being sad his dad died? So if you look at David Stern and his career, think of 85. If we think that that's a chug and that that's something that he fixed, look at what he did to the NBA and how like uh, how slick he was. I mean, he, he made it into the global game, got Jordan just all over the place. 
if he built Jordan up so huge, there's no way he was going to let it get torn down like that with the uh, gambling suspension. So, yeah, I think it was he made him do that in order to just not have to do what he knew he was going to have to do with the gambling suspension. I'm all in on the stuff. They, <laughs> they give the interviews. I mean, it could easily be if they are so like naive to talk about the uh, pizza game and the flu game and just say it was a bad pizza delivered by five guys. That's totally been debunked. And there's, there's, it'd be easy for him, Stern, and like maybe ten other people to know about this and just, and just make it happen. And and it, he had the perfect excuse at the time, so it just fits right in. So I'm gonna chug that one too. Chris, as a baseball guy, if you're yep. if you're going if you're going to essentially retire MJ, get him to go play baseball. I mean, there has to be so many moving pieces for this to truly be a, a conspiracy. Um, is it possible that all these things were pulled off, um, you know, in cohesion with each other or did MJ really retire? Uh, it's possible, but I, I think MJ really did retire. He, uh, I mean, I didn't know how much the championship runs took a toll on his like emotional, uh, energy, uh, per se. So the three Pete, uh, I think he was wiped from that and his father passing away, uh, was even, uh, was just the icing on the cake. He was just like, I'm, I'm done. He just needed a reset. Uh, and baseball was that. It just gave him a new challenge. I feel like he may have felt like he conquered basketball and he just needed the next challenge. And uh, he went the baseball route of things. So I'm going to pour this one out. I think he legit was just like, I'm, I'm done with basketball for a while. Oh. Uh, and I don't think he had any intention of coming back. I don't think 96 was for, or I guess he came back in 95. I don't think 95 was the for sure he was coming back. I think he was, I think he was just tired. He was just wanting to get away. And that was his way to get away. Hickman, do you think baseball reached out to him or do you think he's like, listen, screw this. I'm going to go play some baseball. Y'all know I'm a Michael Jordan hater. I don't demean his accomplishments, but I've just, I just never liked him. Uh, I, yeah, I, I kind of go with Chris though, that I think it was just, he had, he had conquered everything. He was done. They were not going to win the championship in 93, 94. I know that sounds like heresy, but they weren't. Um, and yeah, he had a traumatic thing happen in the off season. I think the gambling was a big problem. And I think Stern was a part of everything there, but, uh, I think, okay, I'm going to sip it because I think it was a mutually, um, agreeable thing with Stern and Jordan at the time. I kind of lean toward Chris's idea here. I mean, one MJ wasn't living a lifestyle that he was going to be able to continue for a 20 year career. Not a he, didn't, he didn't have the personality of a guy. I mean, he reminds me, like we've talked about, he's basically a sociopath. Like, you know, these CEOs that you see at companies that they can't stay with any company for longer than five years because they just burn everybody out around them. They burn themselves out. They normally have four wives. Like it's one of those things where I just don't think his personality was, you can't run 24, seven, 500 miles an hour. Um, so yeah, I think there was a combination of, he, you know, may have got called a little bit on some gambling stuff. Um, players weren't real happy. The league wasn't real happy with one of their biggest stars. Uh, but I also assume if you retire, it's hard to retire 
and plan on coming back. Um, I think, I think had Michael Jordan made it in baseball, he was never playing basketball again. Um, but I think a guy like that with that competitive spirit realized baseball wasn't doing it for him. So what do I do? I go prove I can come back. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can't imagine this was a suspension for gambling because I can't imagine Stern would have suspended him for any sort of gambling. I think he, you know, as Boyd said, like the guy grew the game. He knew how to manipulate the media. Um, you know, had it been, had it been some sort of gambling, I think he would have softened everything, um, to the point that he wouldn't have had to suspend him. But, uh, I think MJ was, he may have been confronted with the idea. And I think he was one of these guys who's like, ah, screw you. I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. Um, cause that's the kind of guy he was Hickman in 2002, my Shaquille O'Neal Lakers played the LA Kings that some people think there was a fix in what happened. Um, there was a fix in that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like a documented fix with, uh, with Donahue, huh? A hundred percent. Tim Donaghy was the official game. Six was in Sacramento. The NBA was like, Oh crap. We can't have a Philadelphia Sacramento finals. We better let Kobe Bryant shoot 24 fourth quarter free throws. How about Kobe elbows Mike Bibby in the face and breaks his nose and Bibby bleeds all over the face? Oh, that's a foul on Bibby. You better not put your nose anywhere near Kobe's elbow. That was the most blatant, horrendous display of a game being fixed in modern sports. There's not a question whether or not this was fixed. Donaghy was, was like, I mean... He was brought into other other parts of point shaving and fixing games, but yeah, the NBA did not want any part of the Chris Webber, Paige Stoyakovic, Mike Bibby, you know, Sacramento Kings winning the championship. Hundred uh, percent fix there. I remember watching that in person. I remember, well, not in person. Obviously, I was watching on TV. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I roll. Shock, shockingly, as a high schooler in from Kingsport. I did not have the funds to go to Sacramento to watch game six. I remember watching it live and thinking this was a travesty as a stupid 17 year old. It holds up. It was a fix. Chris fix or no fix. Oh, absolutely. Fix chugging this one. Uh, that, uh, that Kings team was one of my favorites. I, I have never yep. been a Shaq fan, never been a Kobe fan. Uh, yep. I love that Kings, that Kings team. Uh, I mean, right. it was. we've heard enough from Chris Boyd. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> so you, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but Tim Donaghy did not ref that game. Let's see. I don't think he uh, did. That, Tim Donaghy uh, claimed that the officials of that game were on the fix from the NBA. Oh, there so were guys that were company men. Right. When you, so he didn't ref that game, but he, he claims that it was fixed, which of course you got to trust Tim Donaghy. But uh, I am going to pour this one out. When it comes to conspiracies in the NBA, and, uh, and I'll, I'll further this up with the next topic, too, because if, if the NBA fixed games to change outcomes like it was a WWE event, the, the San Antonio Spurs would never have any championships, and they have five over the last 15, 20 years. So at this point... No, you you look at all the good players in history. They always get more foul calls. Jordan always got more foul calls. Now in the game, Harden gets every call. It's because he's better than most players. 
the better players get the calls. That's just the way it is. This game was obviously the, one of the bad ones. It, there was some bad officiating going on. I do not think it was a pick, though. I'm going to have to pour that one out. Yeah, I'm with Boyd. I'm going to pour out the idea that the NBA told the officials, hey, the Kings cannot win this game. I mean, guys, that Kings team was not was not glamorous, was not fun to watch. Um, they were fun to watch. Did you watch basketball then? Oh, oh my goodness. I have to disagree with that. Chris I was a super they were a blast to watch. Uh, no, they were not, because all I wanted to see was Shaq Duncan and teabagging. Um, Vladi, okay. That that team actually passed the ball between multiple people in a possession. They like to pass the ball between their legs, behind the back. Um, so I'm but, I'm going with I'm I'm pouring this one out. There's no way that the NBA was in on it. Now, did the refs watch these uh, watch this Kings team and say that the not as highly talented uh, team is somehow working the Lakers and we can't have this. You know, the officials decide that maybe, but I can't imagine the NBA made this, made this happen. Um, Boyd, you brought up the, the Spurs 2014, the heat, not one, not two, not three, not four, <laughs> not five. Um, decided they were going to start their, their title run. Um, but San Antonio had another thing, uh, had another idea, and they decided the running and gunning heat, let's slow them down by turning off the AC. Might as well crank up the heat. Uh, fans were passing out. You had ushers that had to be evacuated, airlifted out of the stadium. It was so hot in there. Um, okay, maybe none of that's true. But rumor <laughs> is the AC was not working, um, and that is what took down the heat. Are we to believe that the Spurs really were a dynasty, or are we just to believe that they were the Bill Belichick of the NBA? So this is this is one reason why I don't believe in a lot of the NBA conspiracies as far as like fixing games and the NBA telling uh, refs, you know, you got to do this, got to do that. The Spurs would never have a championship if that were the case. They're like one of the smallest markets in the NBA. No flash. Tim Duncan is the quiet superstar. Now, in this 2014 game, they just lost the year before to the Heat. Could it have been some employee of the the arena or the Spurs that said, hey, I'm going to trip this wire and I'm going to make LeBron cramp up? Maybe, but I don't think it was like Popovich going and saying like, you know, wringing his hands like he's Mr. Burns and like cutting the (laughs) air conditioning. Excellent. And even with that cramp and LeBron left, I don't know, in the fourth quarter at some point, the Spurs destroyed them in this series. It was not yeah. even the contest. And it, it, you can go watch the, uh, there's like a 10-minute documentary on YouTube called The Beautiful Game. That's great. I mean, this is this was like one of my favorite teams ever to watch play. It didn't matter what they did in that game. People passing out 90-plus degrees, whatever it was. I don't think it was intentional on the Spurs part. Could it have been some arena employee or some equipment manager doing stuff, you know, behind the scenes maybe, but Oh yeah, because one thing sports has always taught us is these equipment managers behind the scenes are always working on their own and they take, you know, they take their own liberties to do stuff. Do you think that Greg Popovich and R.C. Buford were standing behind him going, hey, no, that's not the right wire. It's the red wire. 
I think Greg Popovich had seen the career of one uh, David Robinson and realized that running and gunning at that age, um, that there's no way LeBron could keep it up. That he had already spent, you know, he'd already played twice as many minutes as anybody in NBA history or whatever it was. Um, but there's no way you can say that, oh, just some equipment manager making 30000 a year decide, I'm going to risk my career by breaking the air conditioning unit. Well, if, you're, if he's just making that much, he's got nothing to lose anyway. He's going to do it. He wants to see the Spurs win. <laughs> Hickman? So I think um, I, I agree with McClure. Nobody was beating the 14 Spurs. They were my second favorite NBA team of all time after the 94-95 Rockets. That being said, the 14 Spurs would have obliterated the 94-95 Rockets or anyone else. Um, also, you say run and gun, the Spurs were the team that ran pace that series with going small ball and Boris Diaw playing the 4-5, passing the ball over the pl- all over the place. Kawhi and Manu... Um, wreaking havoc danny green shooting threes i think the ac broke and i think the guy in charge was like ah things seem fine and didn't bother with it bother fixing it uh i don't think it was intentional i think something did actually break for sure and i just don't think they made the efforts to fix it yes (laughs) but um the only game the heat won in that series was a two-pointer in game two the rest of them the spurs won going away like 20-point wins every other every other game in the series. Did not alter the final uh, result. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever had a Charlie horse while you're sleeping, and guess what? You wake up the next morning limping because you had a, a, a spasm in the night. LeBron James cramped up, never was the same after that because, as we know in the NBA, they don't have four, four days between each game when it comes to the finals. They play back to back to back to back, and he had no chance to recover. He scored 35 in game two. He was fine. <laughs> Luckily, later in his career, he was um, turned on to an invention called the hyperbaric chamber uh, to prevent things like Greg Popovich's evil plan from ever happening and affecting him again. Chris, was the fix in on the Spurs Heat 2014 NBA Finals? Um, I... I don't think the fix was in from the NBA, but I think the Spurs uh, definitely benefited from the Heat or the AC not working. Uh, the Heat had the big three. They had Wade, LeBron, Bosch. Uh, and they had not many players outside of that. I mean, Donis Haslam, I think, ha- was a featured player on that team. Battier. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, th- it definitely right. benefited the Spurs. Uh, and I. I would I would almost chug that somebody in the Spurs organization, uh, may have played some little gamesmanship there and uh, and said Let, let's have a hot game and we'll see how it goes uh, and it worked out well for the Spurs uh, and that Spurs team they were phenomenal it, it was fun to watch them play so I'm not hating on the Spurs too much but they they definitely got some help game one. Are you guys telling me that Greg Popovich is above? turning off the air conditioning just to use the pun, the heat couldn't handle the heat. <laughs> I mean, that's a Greg Popovich joke if I've ever heard one. Listen, um, I'm voting for Popovich for president if he runs. So, <laughs> well, he's got, he can't even beat Mark Cuban in his own state. So, I would take, um, I would vote for either one. 
<laughs> not for school board, I wouldn't. I'd vote McClure oh, Boyd, no. who is throwing darts tonight. Um, yeah, I, I'm with Chris. I don't think the NBA decided that this way it was going to happen. Um, but there was something fishy about. It's the NBA Finals. I'm sorry. You you don't just band-aid your air conditioning until the finals and realize, oh, can't fix it. Nobody in this state knows how to handle the air conditioning unit. Um, I mean, if your church's AC goes out that morning, you know, at 7 o'clock, it's fixed by the 10 o'clock service. So you're not telling me they couldn't have fixed it. They knew what they were doing. It was gamesmanship. Um, did it cause the heat to lose? No. Um, but the Spurs definitely broke the ac on purpose good now listen that, that, i agree that stadium though the san antonio stadium has had problems all the time have you ever seen the video of manu batting down the bat that got oh that's yeah. so awesome so there's all sorts of crazy there's been birds get in there there's all sorts of crazy stuff that's happened over the there's years there's a big difference between a bat happening to get into the stadium and not fixing your air conditioning unit <laughs> Why was there a bat in there? Why did Manu have to slap a bat out of the air? Easily, it's yeah. because some some facilities person is not doing their job. It's it's one and the same. Uh, one and the same is your terrible takes on conspiracy theories. I will chug that, Blair Boyd. There you go. <laughs> All right, guys, this has been our fiftieth episode. Um, we are going to go on a siesta a hiatus a break a rest um all the above all the above running out of thesaurus words here um but thanks for listening to the first 50 we'll keep you updated as to what's going on um chris i'm sure we'll still be manning the uh, uh the social media stuff so if we get sports back you may see the sports nuts and beer guts coming back with a vengeance um but by George, with the with the stories we're hearing now, I don't think it's worth continuing to go back and forth about how college football is probably not going to happen this year. Uh, but the good news is baseball looks like it's going to start. The NBA claims they have no coronavirus cases now that they've got everybody in this bubble. Um, so Lord willing and the creek don't rise, we will see some live sports soon. Boyd, thanks for joining us. You've been instrumental in your terrible takes um, on the sports nuts and beer guts. So we will allow you to keep joining us at least once a month to uh, continue to spread your false rumors and your ridiculous accusations. Well, guys, it's been fun. It's been real. I didn't know if we would ever make it to 50 episodes when we started. But here here we we are. are. We are veteran podcasters at this point, guys. Put it on the resume. Update the LinkedIn profile. The job ads are going to be coming, coming quick. All right. As Cole likes to leave us with, if you drink, don't drive, do the watermelon crawl. This has been episode 50 of the Sports Nuts and Beer Guts.